This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 18th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. PayPal's entry into the world of stablecoins will likely have a large impact on the use of cryptocurrencies in traditional finance. And quite likely, it will raise the ire of many regulators and would-be regulators. Cato's Jack Soloway argues that we shouldn't forget that stablecoins offer a large potential upside for users, and those same users will overwhelmingly bear the risks. Just as background here, how well have stablecoins performed? These are coins that are pegged to the U.S. dollar primarily. How have they performed over the last few years since they've been introduced? So it's a good question. It depends on what type of stablecoin one's talking about. So there's what are known as fiat collateralized stablecoins, where it's designed to be a relatively straightforward uh, asset backing of a stable t- stablecoin token where, at least in theory, um, there's 100% cash or cash equivalent reserves backing the stablecoin. There's other types of stablecoins that are known as algorithmic stablecoins, where through sort of some complicated math, um, the idea is trying to keep uh, a stablecoin pegged to the value of a separate asset, like a fiat currency, like the US dollar, um, based on the value of another another crypto token um, that comes from the same issuer and the engineering of exchange rates between the two of those. Those um, so far have faced some challenges, the algorithmic stable coins. Um, it's a new, interesting, innovative technology. Um, I think it's fair to say that it's not yet proven itself out. Um, but contrasting it with uh, asset-backed or fiat collateralized stablecoins, um, we've seen a, a decent amount of adoption in the U.S. and around the world. Um, these there are different issuers that have different practices with regards to um, providing uh, reports and audited financials in terms of the reserves backing the tokens. Um, but there's plenty that have received a warm reception in the marketplace. So, just to be clear on this. We need to talk about the upside of stable coins, which for the most part is the speed with which they can move. Is that is that part of the upside? Absolutely. You know, I think that's a huge part of the value proposition for folks in the market that are looking to use stable coins. Um, they can settle near instantaneously on public blockchains. Um, they could also move cross-border. So you see a lot of use uh, for international payments and remittances. Um, I think it's hard for folks to, uh, who don't necessarily engage in the cross-border uh, payment process on a regular basis to understand just how cumbersome that can be with legacy institutions. And stablecoins really provide a way to overcome some of those frictions. So if you had to characterize it, what would you say is the most legitimate concern that regulators or would-be regulators, or just fans of regulation have about the proliferation of stablecoins. And the people I'm thinking of specifically are Jay Powell, Gary Gensler at the Securities and Exchange Commission, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. So I think there's a distinction between the primary risk of asset-backed fiat collateralized stablecoins that regulators and folks should be concerned about and potentially the risks that they imagine or are actually concerned about. 
The primary risk of a stablecoin is simply whether it will um, break the buck, meaning whether one PayPal stablecoin or Circle USDC stablecoin or USDT Tether stablecoin will actually be worth one US dollar, whether the stablecoin issuer has the assets they say they will. It's a relatively straightforward risk, um, and there's plenty of straightforward solutions to it. I think there's other concerns that we've seen from regulators. Um, and the recent development of PayPal announcing that they are going to partner with uh, Paxos to issue a PayPal branded stablecoin shows, it provides a lens into some of regulators' historic concerns about stablecoins. Uh, my colleagues, Jennifer Schulp and Norbert Michel, noted, I think on a podcast with you, Caleb, uh, a little while ago, that a lot of the regulatory exasperation around stablecoins emerged out of Meta's plans for its own stablecoin, originally called Libra, um, eventually renamed to Diem. And I think as a, a product or, or byproduct of some of the anti-tech backlash, some of the concerns um, about quote unquote, big tech and its role in society, um, policymakers became very skittish about the linking of a financial tool with a social media platform. The concern that you say is straightforward, that is whether or not a dollar's worth of stable coins is actually going to actually be a dollar's worth of stable coins, that is the value proposition, that, that's that's real, and that's uh, true of any asset that we might uh, possess, or, or should say, for any asset we might possess, we want it to either maintain its value or increase in value. But that is a risk that is, of course, overwhelmingly borne by the people who hold that asset. And I understand regulators want to make sure that what we buy is good, that what we buy is safe, but it, it strikes me that the people most interested in making sure that stable coins are worth what they say they're going to be worth are the people who buy them. I think that's a really good point and an important one to keep in mind that customers of stable coins absolutely will be incentivizing those issuers to maintain the stable value of that token ish and you know provide information to back up these statements that they have reserves on a one-to-one -one basis with cash and cash equivalents. And I think also it's important to note that there is not a complete dearth of regulatory solutions to the stablecoin question that you identify. We see in New York State, for example, the New York Department of Financial Services has their own regime for regulating stablecoin issuers. And this is actually uh, one of the one of the tension points in recent federal efforts to regulate stable coins, the question of whether state-based regimes, um, state-licensed issuers will be recognized and allowed to operate um, at the federal level. We've seen a really important development out of the House Financial Services Committee, where for the first time, a uh, a bill regarding uh, payment stablecoins has actually passed out of committee with some bipartisan support. And a notable feature of that bill is that it would provide a state pathway 
um, for registering uh, payment stablecoin issuers. And one of the concerns from some, but not all uh, congressional Democrats, is that this would provide an insufficient level of oversight. Um, I think that's not necessarily a fair characterization of the bill because there would also be a federal floor. Um, but I think a pathway for state chartered stablecoin issuers can allow the laboratories of democracy to really allow a diversity of different types of projects and safeguards. So PayPal, as you mentioned, has launched a stablecoin that, well, what do they hope to use it for if not just faster payments using the PayPal network? Absolutely. So I think we this development provides a really interesting lens into the nature of fintechs and the the latest innovation in fintech uh, in the form of crypto tokens. So PayPal is a, a familiar brand. It's really part of the firmament of fintechs and Silicon Valley. The founders of PayPal originally are sort of a, a 27 Yankees lineup of startup founders, names like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, David Sachs, Max Levchin, um, among uh, a number of other luminaries um, who have gone on to prolific careers in Silicon Valley and tech. And the original PayPal was solving a problem of how to make payments on the internet uh, faster and easier. And there was a lot of innovative tech involved in terms of security, fraud detection, encryption. And it solved a problem in an earlier era of the internet. The new development with PayPal announcing that they're going to, in conjunction with this company, Paxos, issue a stable coin. Um, shows sort of a, a new era in fintech where instead of being a walled garden reliant on existing financial infrastructure, which PayPal to a large extent as originally conceived was, a stablecoin that could be bought and sold through the PayPal app makes PayPal more of an on-ramp and an off-ramp to a broader crypto ecosystem. And what's notable about the PayPal stablecoin is it would be issued on the Ethereum network, meaning that any uh, applications that are interoperable with the Ethereum blockchain could accept the uh, PayPal stablecoin, which is fundamentally a token uh, based on this Ethereum blockchain. And so what this means is uh, the PayPal interface would really become more of this on-off ramp to a new ecosystem. So instead of working within the walled garden of one payment app, you would be using a payment app to get into really more of an open highway where users could have more control over the types of applications they interact with, with that stablecoin token. So to your question, uh, why would PayPal be interested in this other than sort of improving payment rails? allowing for faster settlement time. I think that's one of the reasons. I think another reason, and um, there's some evidence to support this in the PayPal press release, is that there you know, is transformative potential in what's referred to as a Web3 ecosystem um, to have these more interoperable financial instruments that get outside of walled gardens and can be used throughout more diverse types of applications. And I think uh, PayPal saw an opportunity there 
um, based on their statements and they're providing a product to meet that opportunity. Or people like Elizabeth Warren, she, you know, her public facing uh, commentary on cryptocurrencies broadly is just, I'm against it, it seems. And, and so I wonder for, for people like her, for people like Gary Gensler, do they even nod to the potential benefits that so many of the people who have a lot of skin in the game when it comes to uh, arranging these kinds of uh, platforms and systems for uh, people making exchanges, do they even nod to the potential upside? We've seen a lot of negativity. I think it's pretty fair to say that the overall tenor of the conversation from the regulatory voices, the lawmaking voices that you mentioned has been one of skepticism. And one of the concerning aspects of the skepticism is when it moves from the idea of regulators confronting classic risks like intermediary risks, like this idea of uh, an instrument breaking the buck that we were talking about into the idea that basically consumers don't know what's good for them. And there's no value proposition to this new class of technology. And it's doomed from the jump. And regulators should put their thumb on the scale to make sure that uh, Americans, uh, users, consumers, developers, entrepreneurs don't even waste their time with this class of technology. But I think that's a misguided way to approach uh, fintech innovation. And if a company like PayPal, that's one of the original fintech providers, thinks that there's an, some enough here for a product that they're willing to invest their time and resources into it, then consumers and developers should have at it and be allowed to manifest their preferences in the market. What expressions have you heard? from people who are in a position to make decisions about stablecoins and crypto more broadly that is ac actually recognizes the upside. Absolutely. So chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry, uh, made an announcement after PayPal's announcement um, saying that this provides a clear signal that there needs to be a clear regulatory framework for stablecoins in the US. And I think that's it's a really important point. And we've seen from the House Financial Services Committee efforts to uh, advance uh, a bill that, while not perfect, would provide far greater regulatory clarity uh, over the status quo. And there's sort of this question of whether industry should wait for regulators and lawmakers or whether lawmakers, because industry is active, should really get their act together. And I think we see the former from statements from ranking member Maxine Waters, but we really see the latter from Chairman McHenry that if industry is moving, lawmakers also need to move here. Jack Soloway is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.